Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop, 24-7 Sports. Andrew Alex is my name, joined by a full cast of characters today. Some would call us the bad boys, but I got Matasis, <laughs> Doug Bowman, and Evan Watkins all in the house today. Fellas, how we doing? I'm good. I'm good. Love the enthusiasm. Lots of enthusiasm. Else? Uh, all right. We'll I, couldn't get a, I couldn't get it to unmute. It wouldn't. It wouldn't unmute for me. Same here. I'm uh I'm not as cool as Colby, but I'm here. Not as cool as Colby for sure. No doubt about that. But first of all, Colby, we got him to a thousand. So if you followed Colby, thank you. I guess next is ten thousand. He'll pass me in short order, and Matei, he's coming for your crown in that regard. So uh Colby. Wait, does Matei have 10, the most Matei. followers? Matei, how many followers do you have like 10,000 or something like that? It's like 8,000 or something. Getting into it. Lots to cover. Not much time to do it in our miniature podcast today. We'll see if we actually hold to that. But the big news yesterday as pertains to the 2024 Hokies is that there's going to be a whole lot of returning production. The entire wide receiving core, there were questions. Would it be the NFL, potential transferring, just graduating and moving on? But in one fell swoop, in one very eventful announcement, Daquan Felton, Jalen Lane, Ollie Jennings, and Stephen Gosnell all returning for the Hokies. The wide receiver room, the bad boys remain in Tact. Gentlemen, I thought we might get at least of the major three, that being Lane, Felton, and Jennings. I said two out of three wouldn't be bad. To get that entire group plus Gosnell, what, what does that do for Virginia Tech's stock going into 2024? Yeah, it's definitely a big... Uh... I don't want to say addition, but a big decision and a, and a great job by Brent Pry and his coaching staff. Um, I think it's, uh, it was my first reaction was, and I think it's an indication of where we are was like, that's, that's pretty darn impressive for Virginia tech to, to return their top three receivers statistically this year. And then they're, they're essentially adding Ollie Jennings since he only played in one game this year. Um, so I think to, to, to bring them all back when you know you're going to basically add Jennings, who's going to take some amount of snaps, reps, and receptions away from the other three. Like, um, I, I think it's a big, um, obviously a short-term win when you're returning that much production, your top four receivers at wide receiver. It's a short-term win for next year's team. I also think it is um, quite a positive indication of, the culture that Pry has built and has got the buy-in and the belief to bring those, to bring all four of them back. Um, there's definitely something to that. And I think we've talked about what the proof of concept of, of getting to six wins and showing progress this year um, did for that. I think this is probably a direct correlation to that. Um, I'm not sure it happens without Virginia Tech showing some serious progress under Pry in year two. And then I think it's also, um, a a big plus for his for Pry, his roster management, um, 
ability, his plan, um, both him and the coaching staff and the behind the scenes people of, of putting in a putting a plan in place to get this done. Um, I think that's a that's a big a big notch in his in his cap, so to speak. Um, so, I mean, it's a it's a big get any way you can get it. Um, just just a, a smashing success to bring back um, that much production. Pair him with Kyron Drones, and, and you're heading into 2024 with a lot of confidence in your passing game. Yeah, and I think also, especially when you look at the production, I think it was you know just over 1,600 uh, receiving yards combined, 19 touchdowns. But ultimately, I think the biggest thing about this year, this past season that we just watched, was about getting Kyron Drones comfortable. You got your answer at quarterback, which we've discussed on this podcast a lot, but just those guys in general in that wide receiver room have really developed over the second half of the season. We saw a lot of plays from Jalen Lane throughout, but it, you know, when you look at a guy like Daquan Felton, especially later on in the season, he had most of his production in the last three games. You have a guy like Ali Jennings, who unfortunately was only able to play one game. Uh, and, you know, we saw what he was able to do against Old Dominion. So I think bringing all those pieces back you know, it, it kind of brings me back to that situation where, you know, 2016, you have Gerard Evans, you have Isaiah Ford, Bucky Hodges. You wonder what like the full cast could be like if they came back for one more season and they all played together and, you know, they know each other's tendencies and and the, the entirety of the system. And it's like we don't have to ask that question anymore. And, you know, Andrew, you said it. It's big to get two out of three of those guys. Now to bring basically your entire receiver core back, I think it's just it's so huge. Um, and and obviously, I think it makes a lot of Virginia Tech fans very optimistic, especially what this passing game can do next season. But I think uh, I think when you look at just being able to bring the guys back, like Daquan Felton, to me was the one with the highest NFL potential. Um, we had heard. I've heard from some of my contacts that he was probably a fourth round guy um, if he had decided to go. That was the 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 word that kept being thrown around was that he had the opportunity or the grading of a fourth rounder to go. Um, and, and on top of that, I mean, we're in the wild, wild west world of tampering where guys are getting offered, you know, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars to go enter the transfer portal. Um, so Virginia Tech had to fight that as well. Um so I think, you know, credit to Fontel Mines, credit to Brent Pry, keeping guys engaged and wanting them to come back. Um, and then a big, you know, big shout out to Triumph and the, the NIL collectives for being able to to secure these guys to want to come back uh, and, and make it worth their while to come back financially. So, you know, I think we talked about this recently, that if you're a outside of the, the top three rounds, uh, I think NIL is a great way to make some money and come back and try to improve your draft stock. And I think we're going to see that with Felton um, Jennings obviously needs, needs to stay healthy for a year. He needs a, a, a year at power five to show uh, on film before he can go uh, make that jump to the league. And then, you know, Lane and Gosnell are just guys. Gosnell was one that I was interested in watching because with, you know, we all kind of knew that Jennings was going to come back. That was kind of the the assumption. Um, and if he does come back and then if Felton came back and if Lane came back, does that cut into Gosnell's productivity? Because he was kind of a product of Ali Jennings going down, Felton moving to wide receiver one, 
And then he kind of worked, worked his way into a, into a role. And now with Ali coming back and all of them coming back, will that scale him back a little bit? But I think there's still a role for him. There's still a, 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 he can still have a productive season and being able to play one more year of football with his brother, I think was a big thing there. So really, uh, you know, I, I think that for the last two weeks or so, you know, we've been talking in our in our group chat offline. It it seemed like this was a very high probability. Um, so it's good to see it come to fruition last night. You know, Evan, speaking of those probabilities, we see all this offensive production coming back, but there's one name that's still up in the air, and that's Bayshel Tootin. What are you hearing? Yeah, you know, it's the same thing I've been hearing for for a while. For VIP subscribers, I've been putting it out there. There hasn't really been any change. It has been uh, the the consensus is leaning heavily towards him coming back. Um, he did at the end of the season. He had exit interviews, just like everybody, every player did with with Pry. And the little bit that we've heard from that was he wants to see what their uh, what their movement is on the offensive line from the transfer portal because for as good as he's had of a year you know he needs a better line to really showcase his talent um he did a lot of work on his own which i think is is great to see but no running back wants to get hit behind the line of scrimmage and have to break as many tackles as he did so that's kind of where he's been involved is trying to increase the offensive line talent pool from the transfer portal um, you know, he hasn't made a decision yet that we've heard of. Uh, it, it seems like all the indications are that he's going to return for another year. That's what the expectation is right now. Transfer portal makes things crazy. He could possibly go to the NFL. But right now, I think I think all signs are pointing to him helping to rebuild uh, that O-line at Virginia Tech through the transfer portal and, and being a Hokie for one more year. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, So transfer portal, let's talk about the people heading out uh, in that direction. Not an incredible amount of movement. The list as it is, is Daquan Wright, Bryce Duke, Daywan Lofton, Derek Canteen, Johnny Dixon, and Chance Black. Uh, Any major surprises there? I, I know that in this era of college football, attrition is to be expected and it seems like all these guys were either buried in the depth chart, playing out of position, or some combination of the two. Yeah, the only the only one that kind of surprised me, and we knew that there was a pretty high chance he wasn't coming back, was Derek Canteen. I just didn't see him transferring again because he's a guy that's been in college for a while, um, and I think he put his versatility on display this year at Virginia Tech. I thought he would – try and make a jump to the NFL. Um, just he, He's just been in college for a while now. So him transferring, it doesn't really change the outcome for me because I thought that he was was leaving anyways, but it is a little surprising. But after, after talking to some people and trying to see more what went into his decision, he wants to be more than just a role player. You know, at Virginia Tech in that nickel, uh, he was a role player for, you know, when they went to the nickel package, he wasn't in their b- base defense. He would – be a rotational guy at outside corner, but he wants to be more of a solidified starter at wherever he goes. So, you know, I think it makes sense. It gets him another year of film before he makes the jump. I don't think he's ready for the NFL. I just thought he was done with college. So 
You know, I think uh, I think he's making a decision that's best for him and his future and in, 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 in the business side of football. So, you know, that was the only one that was a little surprising. We knew Daquan Wright was going to leave um, that that was in the tea leaves for a couple of weeks. And then the other guys, you know, it, no real no real surprise or shocks there. I think I think the news about the wide receiver kind of makes Daquan Wright's decision a little the aftermath of it a little interesting. Um, he's a guy who played 130 snaps in the slot this year. Um, and there's no real, I, I Gosnell could play there a little bit, but I think Benji Gosnell could play there a little bit, um, but probably not quite as much. So I think when you, when you look at Wright's absence in the context of those top four receivers coming back, you got to think there's, especially with Jennings coming into grab some snaps and grab some targets from the other ones. You got to feel like maybe there's a lean towards more four wide receiver four true wide receiver sets to get Steven Gosnell on the field um, a little more in that role than, than what he was able to do when Daquan Wright is filling um, that role in the, in kind of that second slot position. So um, I think it's going to be uh, kind of an interesting, I, I, you know, going four deep at receiver, kind of requires that that you're going to play less tight ends of of some sort so i'll be interested to see how tyler bowen um kind of builds builds the 2024 offense knowing that um he doesn't have as as versatile as athlete as daquan wright is or was um to play in the slot and inline tight end but he does have you know a, a quartet of wide receivers that <laughs> For all for all we know, they really they they're coming back to play. So you, you're gonna you're gonna want to get them on the field. You know, another interesting thing to to watch too, and just to see how Tyler Bowen addresses it is, you also have like Brody and Chans are coming in, and they're game ready to play. Like Brody's not the type of guy that's gonna redshirt. So where are his reps going to come from? Does he take them from a you know a Tucker Holloway? You know that that was a solid second string guy uh, this past year. Does he take those? What about a guy like Aiden Green or Chance, Fitz, uh, Chance Fitzgerald as they now have another year under them? How does he not now that he has a an established group of top guys, how does he build out that depth with enough reps to keep everybody happy and keep their development going? Because there's a very real uh, chance that after the 24 season, you're going to lose a lot of that that starting core because they're going to go pro or, or in, like in uh, Stephen Gosnell, if he doesn't go pro, I think he'd be out of eligibility. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think that building for the future is going to be really interesting to see how he integrates that in with the offense next year. Yeah. That's the, that's the, the interesting second layer to the top four coming back next year is that they probably gobble up almost all the targets and a ton of snaps from that that next wave of tech receivers, like like Evan mentioned, with Fitzgerald and Aiden Green and and Holloway, Turner Bradshaw, the guys about to come in. Um, you know, the the fifth receiver on this year's team was Dwayne Dwan Lofton, who had eleven targets on the year. Um, there's just not going to be that many, that much playing time unless you know Tech starts blowing out more teams than they um, have in recent years, but. Um, it, it, it's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, especially for the guys that have been 
in the program for multiple year, years, Holloway, Turner Bradshaw, um, like, like, do they still see a path to playing time? What does the competition level look like? Um, there's certainly a ton of going to be a ton of playing time available in 2025. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how this coaching staff kind of how they're able to sell the the next wave on on their development plan. That you know, Turner Bradshaw, you, you're probably not going to play much more next year than you did this year. But but 2025 is wide open if you just hang with us. And I think I think those conversations are probably ongoing and continuous. And we'll see and we'll see kind of what the buy-in there looks like. But um, you know, asking some of those guys to wait, like to wait wait till 2025 to maybe play could be a difficult ask, I think. So the situation of losing all your top guys and having to turn to the depth is exactly what Virginia Tech is experiencing right now with their defensive line. But unfortunately, there does not seem to be much depth, which is why during this transfer portal period, adding a defensive tackle or two or three is a priority for the Hokies. And I, I think nobody has caught the eyes of the fan base and certainly, of course, also the staff as much as Aeneas Peebles, the Duke defensive lineman, third-team All-ACC, a really, really quality guy that could plug, play, and perhaps even be an upgrade over what Virginia Tech had last season. Evan, is there a chance? What are we looking at? Yeah, you know, I think there's a really good chance, actually. The um, So when you're in the transfer portal, one of the big things that you always try to look for is connections that players have with, with a staff or with guys that could help facilitate the transfer process. And for Peebles and Virginia tech, it's, it's Derek Jones. Um, so Derek Jones has known that family for years. Um, Derek Jones is part of the, part of the group that laid the initial framework and foundation for him to end up at Duke years and years and years ago. So there's there's definitely a familiarity and a connection there. Um, so Virginia Tech got him up on campus. Uh, the, a, a big thing, a big draw for Virginia Tech is the location uh, and the chance that he could play, continue to play in the ACC. So this is a guy who's got uh, some some family that wants him close. He's got a brother that's still in high school uh, that allows his parents, if he were to go to Virginia Tech, it would allow his parents to go to the brothers games on Friday nights and then most of the ACC games within the region on Saturdays. So Virginia Tech has some major selling points there. And I think one thing that we all assumed they would do, um, but I think was really smart, was getting him around Antoine Powell-Ryland a lot on his official visit and letting him know transferring to Virginia Tech, what you can do in year one, how you can better position yourself and kind of what the defensive line uh, looks like. So, you know, if if Peebles were to pick Virginia Tech, I think he would be penciled in as a starter. You know, I think he'd be immediately the best player on the uh, on the in the defensive line room the minute he stepped on campus. So there's a there's obviously playing time. There's closest to home. Um, there's, you know, being able to remain in the footprint in the ACC for his family to be able to see him play. I think there's a ton of selling points there. So I saw somebody today, I don't, I don't know who it was, said something about a top five for him. Um, I think this is a two-team race right now. Um, as things sit, I think Virginia Tech and Louisville are really the two programs to watch for him because they check the boxes of 
what he's looking for and they're close enough where his family would be able to see a lot of his games for the upcoming season. So, you know, I think he's he's clearly a top target. Um, Virginia Tech wants to take, uh, from what I'm hearing, they want to take two transfer D, D tackles plus they're hard off on on um, Kamari Copeland. So out of out of JUCO. So if you get those, you know, if you were to get Peebles, you get Copeland. You bring in Gilliam for the weekend, and maybe try to find a way to bring him back home from Oklahoma. I think that gives you uh, two guys that are are pretty proven and have uh, you know a lot a, a lot of talent to put up there at the front with Peebles uh, and Copeland, and then you have. Gilliam is kind of an unknown. He hasn't played a whole lot of snaps. Don't really know exactly what he is, but seems to have a higher ceiling. Have him and Fuga in there. And I think you drastically just changed your defensive tackle outlook for the next season um, and potentially further on. Does Peoples have one year eligibility left? I believe so. Uh, I think, I think he's just got one left grad transfer. I can turn to the Colby Crawford spreadsheet here. I'm not as cool as Colby, so I don't know that. You are not. <laughs> One year of eligibility remaining. You can uh, definitely see uh, the defensive tackle position this year is the wide receiver position of last year's portal where, where Tech just clearly made a very, very concerted effort to flip the entire room to, to fill the top of the depth chart um, with, with new guys. Obviously, Fuga returns there. Um, but I think you're also seeing a little bit of a – they're definitely keeping an eye on the future years. Like I think in an ideal world, you bring in people's for his, his last year with Fuga in his last year, Gilliam has multiple years and then Copeland would have multiple years. So you can start to see like the kind of the progression where they're bringing in the short-term immediate help to, to help in 2024 and really trying to make sure that there's continuity past this year. Um, Cause if you, if you just bring in one year guys, this year in the portal you're in the same boat next year um so i think it's an interesting look at what they're doing from a from a roster perspective to turn over that spot specifically i will say just to evan's point about family with peebles i do love the effort by the virginia tech staff to offer his younger brother braylon peebles today class of 2026 so Never, never stop recruiting the family, getting the pipeline. I'm, I'm sure that's a very tactical offer at this time. <laughs> 2026. So the guys, so Pete Peebles, uh, his the older brother is going to be have gone for two years by the time this guy signs or is eligible to sign. So but getting more Virginia Tech into the into the household at the dinner table, I love it. Recruiting, yep, absolutely. I mean, that's an easy decision to make, I think. Chestnut checkers right there. Uh, one name, and Evan, you posted about this very, you know, at the time of this recording just a few hours ago, uh, about a name that Tech fans are going to recognize, and that's Ramon Brown. Brown, a running back, former four-star recruit out of high school, I believe at one point when he was committed to Virginia Tech, was the number one recruit in his class. At the time, before decommitting and going to Maryland, he is now slated to visit Tech as he has entered the transfer portal. And if you look at Brown's career, not a lot to show for it so far, right? I believe he just had three carries this season and the prior year, uh, not a ton. 
doesn't really seem like a huge position of need. In fact, it's a position where we're seeing attrition a la Bryce Duke from that room. How does Brown fit in? And do you think this is a realistic prop- realistic proposition? Yeah, you know, I think I think he's very much in play. Um, and I think what's interesting when when he flipped, so he was committed to Virginia Tech from July until about 12 hours before signing day. Um, flipped his commitment because of ex-Virginia Tech coach Zon Burden, who was at Maryland at the time, and now current Virginia Tech running back coach Elijah Brooks, who was at Maryland at the time. They were the ones that lead, led the, the flip. So obviously there's a lot of uh, continuity right there and familiarity between Elijah Brooks and uh, Ramon Brown. And we've talked about this in the past with the running back room. Right now you have, you know, on paper, you got Basial Tootin, you got Malachi Thomas. I don't know that I realistically will say both will be on the roster next year. If Tootin returns, Thomas is going to probably want to go somewhere to be running back one. And if Tootin goes pro, then then Malachi Thomas could stay to compete for running back one reps. I don't see a situation where both are on the roster next year. Um, simply just that's that's how the math works in my head. Um, so then you look at what else is in the room. You got Tyler Mason coming in who put up astronomical numbers against really subpar competition, but he put up astronomical numbers by only playing the first half of every game and still, you know, running for thousands and thousands of yards. Um, and then you have, you know, the guys that are already there. You got Jeremiah Coney, who's gotten some praise, um, and then you got Traylon Mitchell, who every time the coaching staff has spoken about him in press conferences, they've talked about potentially moving positions and how the defensive staff has kind of been drooling over him. So if Traylon Mitchell were to move positions, you would go into next year with either one of Tootin and Thomas. You'd have one of those, uh, Tyler Mason and Jeremiah Coney on scholarship. And that's just not enough. You're going to have to gr- grab somebody out of the portal that can come in and kind of be a a role player for a year. Nobody, if if Basial Tootin returns, nobody is taking his reps. So you bring in somebody like Brown to go behind Tootin and say, you know, learn from him for a year and compete for his spot a year from now. And I think that's really appealing when you look at the type of offense that Virginia Tech had this year. You look at what Tootin was able to do and you look at how Brown could fit into the offense. I think he's a uh, strong runner, and I think he's really good out of the backfield with his hands. He's he's a dynamic athlete. Clearly, he's very familiar with Virginia Tech because he was committed there for you know six and a half months or so, um, and he's you know he's really familiar with Elijah Brooks. And I think that's key to watch is Elijah Brooks is personally recruiting a guy that he used to coach. There's clearly a reason for that. He really seems to want him on the roster. So. I think it's a realistic uh, chance for Ramon Brown to return to Virginia Tech uh, and and be a Hokie that he was supposed to be until Brooks flipped him from his commitment. I think Evan covered that pretty well, but him and Brown and Gilliam kind of have the same um, same situations almost, like where Virginia Tech has deep connections. Um, to, to they haven't played much, so there's not much proven production um, to rely on there. But you're you're relying on Brooks 
um, from his time at Maryland with Brown and then the, the Highland Springs connection with Gilliam. Like um, those are the kind of transfers to the, the, the Virginia kids coming back in state um, to, to, to continue their career to maybe flourish that if you feel good about your connection and what you're hearing from the guys you trust, I'm sure Lauren, Lauren Johnson is involved there um, with Gilliam at least. And, and, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. And especially as Evan laid out the depth chart picture with Tootin at the top of it, if, if Tootin is at the top of it, like you're not, you're not going and adding a, a number one, one of the one of the guys in the portal looking to be a number one running back. You're adding um, a guy like Ramon Brown who entered the portal but doesn't have the production to warrant that kind of um, competition or or or, um, or promises from other programs. Like you know, it, it no other mid to top level ACC team is offering Ramon Brown a starting role. So so like. Tech is going to be competing against similar programs with similar amounts of playing time, which makes it a good fit. Yeah. And I just have one last thing. I mean, you both covered it pretty extensively, but I think when, you know, sharing, I shared Evan's article about Ramon Brown on Twitter and um, the immediate feedback is when you see former four-star recruit, you know, going on an official visit to Virginia Tech a lot of people are saying, is that Bashal Tootin going to the NFL? Like, and I think you guys both covered it. Like, this is a good way to ensure that you have the depth in the running back room. I think we saw last year, one of our very first podcasts, when we were talking about Bashal Tootin and Malachi Thomas, we were debating whether, you know, who is 1A, who's 1B. It's very clearly there's a one and then there's a quite a distant two. And that's kind of the role that Virginia Tech needs to fill no matter what. And I think you need another body in there, especially with, you know, guys like Bryce Duke, who is the number three, uh, Chance Black, who is the number four. You do have young guys in that room, but getting someone who I believe next year will be a junior and then could, you know, be promoted after Basial Tootin leaves if he decides to come to Virginia Tech. Uh, I, I just think it's a smart strategy to kind of stack up that room. So just to further emphasize this point, like optics wise, this is not like you can't read into this too much and say, okay, they're recruiting this running back because Bashal Tootin is leaving. Like these are completely independent of each other. I was actually thinking that they're they're the type of running back like Ramon Brown that they're trying to they're trying to thread the needle on Tootin a little bit of saying, you know, if you come back. <laughs> You're going to play a ton, but we need the depth. So you can't recruit a running back that Tootin's going to look at and be like, what are you doing, guys? He's going to come in and take my snaps. So there's like this this very specific um, uh, resume that the backup running back that they're looking for has to have where you can you can reasonably tell Tootin, like, you're going to be the number one no doubt about it, lead back. We're going to feed you over and over again, and you're going to have no trouble getting the carries you need. But we also got to get like some depth just in case, and this is going to be our guy. So I think there's a, um, you know, it's another challenge of the portal era in, in, in trying to fill your needs while retaining your top talent. Yeah. And I think, I think Doug, I think you said it well too. Like Ramon Brown doesn't have, the pedigree right now. He doesn't have the film or the experience or the reps for anybody to say, 
Ramon Brown is going to be, you know, is going to come in and replace Bashel Tootin. If if Virginia Tech had to replace Tootin, it wouldn't be with Ramon Brown. That isn't that isn't a knock on Brown. He just doesn't have the experience to go in and say, okay, you're going to be the guy right now. He needs somebody that he can learn under and he needs to get some reps. And I think he would be a guy that could come in uh, and compete with a Coney, let Mason maybe marinate and get bigger because he's, he's not overly big. Um, You know, maybe he, maybe you go and you, you go with uh, Ramon and and Coney as kind of your two guys jockeying for that backup role, assuming Tootin comes back. And if Thomas were to leave, um, and I, I think that that puts you in a really good place for the future. Well, one thing I know that Basil Tootin's hoping for is improvement along the offensive line. And Tech is certainly using the transfer portal to try to do that. One name that sticks out is Montavious Cunningham. Tackle out of Georgia State. Seems like it's coming down to the wire on this one, Evan. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he came out of his Virginia Tech visit, shut everything down, and said, I'm making a decision this week, um, and it's going to be between Virginia Tech and Texas Tech. So he visited Texas Tech Thursday to Saturday, then visited Virginia Tech uh, Monday and all, all day Tuesday and left late Tuesday night. Uh, so he got a full experience, you know, at both schools. Um, he got a lot of time with Brent Pry before he flew out to go recruiting. So he was with Pry, he was with Crook. I uh, spent a lot of time with Xavier Chaplin, which I thought was good. And as usual, he was with Kyron Jones, who's recruiting literally ev- anyone and everyone on offense as a transfer to come to Virginia Tech because Kyron Jones wants a better offensive line just as much as Boshel Tutin does. So, um, you know, I think that that was really good, really smart of them to get those guys together. So he was uh, he was in Blacksburg, um, really connected well with Crook. I think he understands that Crook is the type of guy that can get him uh, where he wants to be. Seems to have a really big body of work that um, can help him improve. Now, the question would be, um, you know, at 6'3", where does he slate? Does he come in and compete at right tackle? Does he come in and compete at guard because he's, you know, he's only 6'3"? Does Chaplin move to right tackle and let, you know, let a Cunningham, if he were to commit, play left tackle? So there's a lot of movement there that could go on um, if he is to choose a Virginia Tech. But we'll we'll find out soon. I mean, he, he wants to announce on Thursday, sometime Thursday. I haven't gotten an exact time from him yet. Um, and it's going to be Virginia Tech or, or Texas Tech. So we'll see which way he's leaning here in about 24 hours or so. Lastly here, the linebacker position. Who's Tech's preference there? Well, that's a good question of who the preference is because they, they like they like a couple of them. The, the flavor right now is going to be Sam Brumfield from uh, Middle Tennessee that's coming in to visit this weekend. And like I, like I said earlier about connections in the transfer portal, he has connections to Chris Marv. He's a guy that's from – Mississippi and was recruited by Marv out of high school um, before he went JUCO, um, ended up going to JUCO for a while and then, you know, came out to to Middle Tennessee and is is a really good plug and play middle linebacker. And I think that's exactly what Virginia Tech needs. Um, and he's a guy that's got obviously connections to the staff. He's visiting this weekend, wants to visit Pitt the weekend or, or after he visits Virginia Tech, whatever time period that fits for him. 
Um, but I am interested to see if he sticks with that because Pitt has had some linebackers that have uh, announced they're coming back. So I don't know if he's going to stick with that or not, but he's got some connections to Marv. He's very interested in getting around Pry and meeting with him and just seeing what Virginia Tech offers both academically uh, and athletically and just the town in general. So he's going in with an open mind. He's going to be uh, in Blacksburg, I believe, tomorrow. I believe on Thursday uh, is when his official starts. So He'll be in there soon, and we'll see uh, We'll see how things shake out from that visit. All right. Well, that should about wrap it up for us on this somewhat abbreviated podcast. Not that much shorter than usual. But before we close things out here, any final thoughts? I know Dylan Rayola to uh, Nebraska is a big one. How about that? Did that officially – did that hit? Oh, uh, yeah. Crystal, crystal Balls. balls. The Steve Wilt falling crystal ball never fails. That would be huge. It's destiny. It's an interesting thing because he's obviously going to to start right away. So like Matt Rule, just tying everything to to him right off the bat. Um, although I guess they were in the running for Kyle McCord too. So, I, but I mean I, that would be great for for. I mean, there's so many things going. Uh, not so great with college football that it would be good to have like, you know, number one of the top players in the class going to a place like Nebraska to play for where his dad's a legend and um, all this stuff instead of just joining the blue blood Georgia. Um, And of course, as a quasi Nebraska podcast, we'd be all about it. Yeah. Apologies for not using the Huskers two, four, seven background (laughs) on this one. Other than that, Got to give Doug his flowers. He called Grayson <laughs> McCall to NC State like two weeks ago. Doug. I, I mean, it was too easy. He he kind of seems like an NC State quarterback, uh, but also his head coach at Coastal was the offensive coordinator at NC State up until last year. So I, I think I think that was a quick call of like, hey, you should definitely, you guys don't have a quarterback anymore. You guys should um, definitely take my guy Grayson. So. Um, I, I, that wasn't, it wasn't quite a impressive prediction, but, um, I'm glad it worked out for, for my personal ego. There are some interesting quarterbacks coming to the ACC. I know there's still like a lot more conversations going on, but we have Max Johnson to UNC, the former Texas A&M quarterback, uh, now Grayson McCall, who I, I, I'm not familiar with what he did this past year, but two years ago, you know, in the running for one of the best quarterbacks in the country for what he did with Coastal Carolina's turnaround. In hindsight, it actually looks like MJ Morris made the right decision to redshirt and transfer because NC State probably upgraded or definitely upgraded at quarterback. Um, but yeah, all in all, I think, you know, there there are still several more landing spots for some quarterbacks. I'd be interested to see what Pittsburgh does if they want to uh, keep Christian value or if they want to upgrade there. Um, Miami is obviously probably the biggest one in the ACC that needs a quarterback, but in general, a lot of quality quarterbacks coming to the ACC next season. I'm interested to see if Grayson McCall can last because at this last team, he was pissing teal. So now is he, if he's pissing red, he's got to go see somebody. <laughs> Do not come to the Inside the Tunnel podcast for medical advice, though that one holds up. 
Go see a urologist if that happens. Yeah, you got bigger issues than following the transfer portal at that point. But we don't got bigger issues. It's all we're focused on. It's night. It's day. Again, Doug does not sleep. He's breaking down film. No, I definitely sleep. (laughs) You look look well rested. Colby does not sleep. Colby doesn't sleep. Oh, no, 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 no. He has no time. He has no time to sleep because he's too busy keeping the world informed where these offers are so people can get excited about the name of someone who they had never heard two seconds before possibly coming to Virginia Tech. (laughs) That's how it goes. No one knew who Daquan Felton was last November. Now they're forking out money to make sure that he doesn't go to the NFL. And that's just college football, 2023-2024. Lots going to happen. Most likely over the course of the next few days as the dead period does get started again on Monday. Transfer portal dead period. Think so? Yep, Monday. Expect news to break between now and then and expect to hear from us on this podcast again. But if you can't wait for the podcast, there is a good place to find us. It's btscoop.com of the 24-7 Sports Network. Go and get your VIP subscription. Of course, subscribe to this podcast so it can just pop up in your feed. And, of course, enjoy your weekend, folks. We are, at the time of this recording, a mere seven days away from the famous Toastery Bowl featuring... Old Dominion and come on, one of you sickos got to know the answer. Who's playing in the famous Toastery Bowl? I got nothing. I wanted to say FAU, but I have no idea. It's not. And quite frankly, I don't know. The famous Toastery Bowl in Charlotte this year saw an Instagram ad for that a few seconds ago. Clearly didn't stick that much. Either way, Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky. That's a big one. Even a bigger seven days away is National Signing Day. (laughs) That's where I thought he was going with that. (laughs) So we'll definitely be covering that. Yeah. Um, We might even have a special guest. Oh. Yeah, take that as you will. If you want a hint, think back to last National Signing Day. It's Brent Pry. I'm not going to pry it out of you. I wanted to say that, Joe. Come on. (laughs) As always. Hopefully. Go Hokies. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean outrageous just search the rest is football wherever you get your podcasts all the best from big meets